This is Ein Yaakov. We are on Kuf Tzadik Ches, and we are now going into the... Uh, oh, hello. We're going into the Pesach story. We're going into the Haggadah. It's Haggadah time. For the next, I guess, several weeks, we are probably going to be talking about things that you can, if you remember them, take notes and uh, bring them to your Seder next year. We're going to do all things that are drushes in Magid. Um, and this is the source for all of the drushes in Magid, pretty much. It's the source for a lot of Magid, this Gemara Masech Okay. That's the way the story begins. We're in Mitzrayim, and a new king rises up, and that new king doesn't know Yosef, and he turns us into slaves. Rav Shmuel, they have a machlekas, a very famous machlekas, because it's brought in Rashi Alatero. Chad Amr, one of them says, Chadash Mamish, this was literally a brand new king. The guy didn't know Yosef. Yosef had a shprach, he had a good relationship with the, uh, with the Yidin, I'm sorry, Yosef had a good relationship with the prior king. The Jews knew the prior king, that guy died. There was a regime change, there's a new person in charge. Now there's a new person in charge, he doesn't know us very well, so he's worried about us, thinks we're going to take over, and decides to enslave us. So it was a new king, it's what happens, you know? New guy gets into office, you lose all of your old connections. V'chad Amar. Another opinion is, was the same king, he just became like a new person. He changed his gzeiras, he changed the way that he was dealing with the Jews, he changed his laws and policies. I will point out that the Rebbe has a sicha where he proves from several places, including a radvaz, that every chad amr, chad amr, the first is the first and the second is the second. This is just something I always wondered. Meaning that when it says rav shmuel, chad amr, something, chad amr, something, the first chad amr is rav and the second chad amr is shmuel. I, I just always wondered, right? Gotta wonder who these people are. Okay, man damr chadash mamish, the one who says chadash mamish, the opinion that this was literally a new king, why would he say such a thing? Why would he think there's a new king? What gave him that idea? Dixiv. Chadash. The Torah says it was a new king. It's not a hard position to defend. But the one who says the one who says that why does he say that? Why does he not think it's literally a new king? Because when kings die and a new king comes to power, the Pasuk usually tells us. The Pasuk doesn't leave us in the dark. It says, There's no sign that this prior king died. We knew Farah. We knew Farah. He's a character in the story. He talks to Yaakov. We would have heard about his death. Given that they never told us about his death, and given that the terror never told us about a new king being appointed, makes sense that the same king is still around. My Asher Loyadas Yosef, what does it mean that he didn't know Yosef? Have a dummy command That means that he made himself like someone who didn't know Yosef. This uh, this shita is really according to both opinions, but it's at least to satisfy Shmuel's opinion, because Shmuel says that it's a new king, that it's not a new king, so how come he didn't know Yosef? It's the same king, even if he changed his policy, he should still remember the basic history, he should have known Yosef. So Shmuel asked to answer, that he had to pretend like he didn't know Yosef. I'm deciding whether to go further or to, uh, yeah, we're going to stop here for now, and we're going to do a lot of commentary. Let's talk about stuff. There's Ben Yeyada. The Ben Yeyada says that nonetheless it does save Yaakam Elechadah. So how does Shmuel have his opinion? Let's get real, right? Shmuel might darshan all he wants, but at the end of the day, the Torah says there was a new king. Shmuel can't go against a Pasuk. So the Ben Yeyada has a very creative idea. He says, he says, Yaakam Melechadash, the word Melech doesn't need to be vowelized, right? It's in the Torah. It's, we have a sefer here. It's Mem, Lam, and Chaf. So since it's a mem lamet chaf, you can vowelize it any way you like. Melach can also mean to change your mind or to make a decision. So his lashon is mefarish melech lashon eitzah kleima hikim hamlacha veitzah chadashu. So Yakam melech chadash says the venyayada means that a new idea, a new decision rose up, one that did not take into account Yosef. Doesn't need to be a melech. You have Yakam melech chadash al Yosef. You like that? Is a venyayada. The Ma'aral says that in fact everybody agrees that it wasn't the same king. So the Ma'aral takes a uh, the Ma'aral takes a, a a hard line that it's Yaakov Melachadish. The Torah says it's a new king. Everybody agrees that it uh, that it was uh, that was a new king. 
Um, and the Maharal says, how do I know? Because a Russia would never have such a Rikas Yamim. If you think about how long he would have had to live, he would have had to have been already an adult and ruling in the time of Yosef. A Russia couldn't possibly live long enough to be facing Moshe. This also uh, is not going to work well with the Madrashan that say the Parad lived basically forever and went all the way to the Ninveh. The Maharal goes, Rishayim don't have a Rikas Yamim. If you hear that, a, if you see a Medrash that implies that a Russia lived a long time, it's not to be taken literally. It's the clown in the Maharal. He says that the question is really just whether it's a new regime or not. That the opinion that says that Zamelech Hadash says that it was a completely new regime, not just a guy with new ideas, but that that person's line was cut off. You know, kings, there was like a, there were kingly families. Dynasty, dynasty right? So that dynasty was over. And Vyakam Malachadish means that there was a new dynasty. And the other opinion is, it was the same dynasty, but Nishadrikizerisav, not literally the same guy, because Maharal is a Klal Gadol, that Rishayim just don't live long enough for it to be the same guy. Rishayim al Dayang. That's the, that's the Maharal's rule. There's a really cool Ian Yaakov. The Yen Yaakov says that this entire Machlekes is based on the Machlekes Rav and Shmuel have in Maid Katan 18a. Of course, you guys know, you know Maid Katan 18a. Maid Katan 18a. No, I'm going to tell you that one in a second. This is a different one, okay? But the Sechah we're going to do. Um, the Yen Yaakov, though, says it's based on the Machlekes they have in Maid Katan 18a. There's Machlekes about what a Magushi is. You guys know what a Magushi is? There's Machlekes what it is. They don't know either. Magushi is supposed to be a sorcerer. But another opinion is that it is supposed to be an Eved of Arizara. So it's either a guy who worships idols or a guy who knows how to do magic. Follow this, okay? The one who says that it was an, that, it, that, uh, that a Magushi is an Eved of Arizara, I, I have to say one more thing, sorry. That is that in Maid Katan says that Pare was a Magushi. So whatever a Magushi is, Pare was it. So Pare either was a magician or somebody who worshipped idols. The one who says that Pare was a Magushi and therefore was a says the reason why Para would go down to the Nile River every single day was to demonstrate that he still had the bracha of Yosef. Yosef gave, Yaakov, excuse me, gave him a bracha that the Nile would rise to his feet. He would go down to the Nile to worship it. And while he was down there, all the people would see that he still had the bracha from Yaakov, meaning it's the exact same king. So that opinion, that Rav and Shmuel have the same Achlekes. So the opinion that, uh, I think it's Rav, Rav says that a Magushi is going to be an Eved of Azari. He's also going to say that it was the same king. Whereas Shmuel, on the other hand, says that a Magushi is a sorcerer. Why was he going down to the Nile? Because he didn't have the bracha anymore because it was a new king. So he had to use his magic to make the water come up to his feet. It's a Nian Yaakov. What you were referring to is a Sikha from the Rebbe, which we're going to discuss, and then that will be it for tonight. The Sikha from the Rebbe is Lakutte Sikha's volume 16. It is the first Sikha and Shmeis in that volume, and the Rebbe makes a clown. The Rebbe says, and by the way, this is printed in an incredible book. There's a book called uh, Lishita Sayu, I believe. It's Lashita Sayu. Somebody went through the Rebbe Sechas and took every time that the Rebbe takes uh, two Tanaim or Amaraim or Rishainim and gives a klal about them and brought all the Sechas in one place and then summarized the Shittas so you can get the Rebbe's Derech and Limud in a Sefer. It's just incredible. Because you understand, the Rebbe does this a lot. We did this with Rebbe Yudah and Rebbe Nechemya one time. We've done this in this year before. The Rebbe has a thing where he will find, uh, the Rebbe has a, has a Derech through the whole Torah. He sees the whole Torah as completely one, which is what it is. But since he can see through it and knows all the Sugyas, he did this without Etzachachma. Can you believe it? The Rebbe without, uh, without the internet was able to pull this off, he was able to fly through Shas and say, actually, this person who has this opinion, he's the, shit, the, the Shittase, he's following his opinion all the way through Shas. The Rebbe does this like 15 times, and somebody brought it in a safer where you can read all the Shittas, and that will give you a derech and liman Shas, just a, a book worth getting. In any case, the Rebbe does this with Rav and Shmuel with all of the Chad Amr, Chad Amrs, and he runs through Shas and Poskim to show you that every one of the Chad Amrs in Rav and Shmuel follows a trend, and there's two trends he points out. Trend number one is that Rav is always literal. Rav likes Psukim. When the Pasuk says, V'yakam el it's as a new king, you will not convince Rav that it was not a new king. You can't. You can tell me, ah, but it doesn't make sense. And it's I mean, give, give, give me your back and forth and explain yourself. It says, Chadash, Rav is finished. There's nothing else to talk about. Shmuel looks at the rest of the Pesukim around the Pesuk and says, I know the Pesuk literally says this, but we got to look at the context. Let's look at the line before, look at the line after. If your literal translation makes no sense, let's be a little non-literal. That's Rav versus Shmuel. They also have a second 
mini derech within the drachim, and that is Rav cares most about 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 showing that someone is a tzaddik or a rasha ben adam lemakim, and Shmuel cares most about ben adam lechaveru. Why would that be? We have a cloud that the halach is like Rav in Isser. That's right, in Isser Perfect. That the halach is like Rav in Isser Vehetter. Isser Vehetter is ben adam lemakim, and when Shmuel is ben which is ben adam lechaveru. So in addition to the fact that Rav is a literalist and Shmuel is into drushes, we also have that Rav cares more about ben adam lemakim because he's a guy who thinks about Isser Vehetter all the time, and Shmuel is somebody who's into ben adam lechaveru because he's somebody things about mammon, it's about monetary law all the time. Now, based on this, the Rebbe draws a line through Shas, and I'm going to show it to you, and with that, we'll be done for the day. So the first one is Melech that one's pretty easy. Rav says, literally a new king. Shmuel says, doesn't say a king died. I don't see I don't see a dead king anywhere. Must be, it's not literally a Melech That's a classic literalist versus context. Second of all, when it comes to Ben versus Ben Adam Lamakim, Rav says that a new king would have demonstrated Parah was a bigger Russia Legabe Hashem relative to God, because that king would not have been able to justify himself to God and say, I enslaved the Jews because they came down here willingly, they willingly became my subjects, I recruited them, now I'm allowed to use them for labor. This is a guy who like inherited a bunch of Jews and then decided to put them to work. He'd never be able to justify himself that way to God. So Rav is setting him up to be a Russia Legabe Akadish Baruch. When it comes to Shmuel, Shmuel's opinion that's the exact same king, that sets him up to be a Russia by the Jewish people. This was our friend yesterday. Now he turns around and stabs us in the back. That is a Rasha ben Adam lechaveres. So Shmuel lishitase. Let's see it in another place. This is by Yosef. When Yosef goes to meet Potiphar's wife, he says, He goes to the house to do malachte, to do his work. And it's once again brought, uh, brought in the Gemara. Rav Shmuel, one opinion is that he literally went to go do housework. And the second opinion from Shmuel is that he went to have relations with Potiphar. Lasestrachov, I think is Lashem. Yeah, Lasestrachov, to see to the needs of his body. So once again, Rav, it says malachte. It says literally work. So obviously Rav Shita is going to be that he literally went to work. Shmuel says, okay, then how come the Torah keeps telling us the house is empty? Why does the Torah need to tell us that nobody was in the house that day, that everybody had gone out, that there was a yomt of that day, and that Yosef was alone? Why give me all this context if Yosef is just going for another day of work? He's not just going for another day of work. He has intentions. Furthermore, we can do the other, we can do the other thing with Rav and Shmuel, where one's Ben Adam and Ben Adam Rav would tell you that Yosef was a tzaddik, Ligabe HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore there's no way in the world that he was going to go sleep with Potiphar's wife. He's a tzaddik, Ben Adam Limakim. This next one's a little tricky, but this is what the Rebbe says. The Rebbe says that according to Shmuel, Yosef was a tzaddik, Ben Adam Lechavere, and he wasn't going to sleep with Potiphar's wife while servants were around because they wouldn't respect Potiphar anymore. So as a favor to Potiphar, he only slept with his wife when no one was looking. I, look, it's dodgy a little bit, but it's in the Sikha that way. Uh, another one, in the uh, Megillah's Esther, Mehaydu Ve'ad Kush, when it says that Ahasuerus reigned Mehaydu Ve'ad Kush, Rav Shmuel of Machlekes, Rav says Mehaydu Ve'ad Kush means from Haidu to Kush and that they were on opposite ends of the world. And this shows that he ruled over the entire world because he ruled from one country all the way to the most distant country. Shmuel says, no, they were next to each other. And the same way that he was able to control two countries that were right next to each other, he had control over all 127. Yes, Medinas that were under his control. It shows his, it shows his control over his Medinas. Once again, Rav is reading the Pasuk literally. The word Ad means until. It implies there's a distance being passed. Shmuel is reading it non-literally because Shmuel says, look at the rest of the Pasuk. Here we have the Pasuk's telling us that he's ruling over to 127 provinces. He rules over the entire world. Telling me that he had Mehadavad Kush wouldn't make sense unless you're trying to tell me something about his rule over the entire world. Otherwise, you're just repeating yourself. It's like saying that I, I traveled from here to Muncie and then listing all of the stops between here and Muncie. It doesn't make any sense. So why give me the two extremes? He's not giving two extremes. He's trying to tell me about the quality of his rulership over those extremes. That's once again Shmuel leaning on the drushes. In this particular example, the Rebbe does not give a ben adam l'makim, ben adam l'chavere parallel, but you're welcome to come up with one. Another one. Vahibi me Amrafel. And it was in the days of Amrafel. Rav Shbav Machlek is what his real name was. Rav says his real name was Nimrod, and he had the nickname Amrafel because he tossed Avram Avinu into a Kivshana Eish. 
And Shmuel's opinion is that his real name was Amraphel, and he was called Nimrod because he made the whole world rebel against God. Okay, so he made the entire... Oh, no, yeah, that's what that means. They made them all rebel, right? Shehimrid? They made them all rebel. Okay, so Rav says that... Uh, the re- Why does Rav say that the shot is that he's Nimrod? Look in the Torah. He's called Nimrod when he's born. The Torah calls him Nimrod. It says, Kush Halid es Nimrod. So that was his name. Later on, he got the name Amraphel, but that's the shot. Whereas Shmuel says, look at the rest of that Pasuk. In that Pasuk it says that Kush had a kid named Nimrod, and that Nimrod then went off and uh, and did a whole bunch of acts of great valor. And because of that, people even nowadays say, Kigibur, what, Kinimrod Gibur Tzayed? Kinimrod Gibur Tzayed. So people built an expression around his name. Shmuel says, you built an expression around someone's name, that's not because that's their name. That's the nickname he got for doing all those acts of valor. Clearly Nimrod's nickname must be Amraphel was his original name. I have two more that are in the Sikha. We're doing all of them. Two more in the Sikha. One more, the second to last one. Maras Machpela. Rav Shmuel of Maras Machpela. Rav says that it is uh, multiple multiple houses within each other, and therefore there are eight graves in this plot. Shmuel says it's just one house with an attic. According to Rav, it's Machpela. It's a Mara that has Machpela. It has multiple parts inside. It's a multiple occupancy Mara. According to Shmuel, he's begging for a spot from uh, from Ephraim. He's telling Ephraim, look, just give me a place to put my wife. He's not asking for a, for an eight-bedroom house. He's asking for a single occupancy place. Well, he'll be digging out the Maris over time. So Shmuel says the context doesn't make sense. You can't really beg somebody and say, hey, just do me this one small favor. I need an eight-bedroom house. You can say, just do me this small favor. I need a Mara. So Shmuel says it wouldn't make sense to say that it's a Mara with multiple occupancies. It makes sense to say it was a simple Mara with an attic. We have one more, and that is the Eshel. That is the one that we actually learned about earlier. Avram plants an Eshel, an Eshel Bever Shava, and we don't know what an Eshel is. Rav Shmuel, Rav says that it was a orchard, and Shmuel says that it was an inn. Makes a lot of sense to say it was an orchard because Vita Eshel Bever Shava. You can't plant an inn, you can plant an orchard. So it's with the Pshat of the Pasuk, once again, Rav going to Pshat, and when it comes to Shmuel, he says, right after that, what happens in the next Pasuk? Rav Hashem that they called out in God's name. You don't daven in an orchard, you daven in an inn. So it makes more sense that he would have been doing his outreach work, not in the middle of a grove of trees, but in a Chabad house, you know, in something with walls. So it makes more sense to say that he was doing his outreach work in an inn. This one also strikes to Ben Amnulamak and Ben Amnulachavera, and with that we will conclude, and that is that Rav wants to say that Avram was a tzaddik relative to Hashem, and therefore he planted an orchard so he could offer his fruits to Hashem as a carbon. And Shmuel always wants to point out someone's tzidkos, Ben Adam Lechavere. So it wouldn't make, look, it's nice to build an orchard, but people don't really need an orchard as much as they need an inn for wayfarers. So if you want to show off how great Avram Avinu was, you would mention his, uh, his milas, Ben Adam Lechavere, and say that he was somebody who built an inn where people could stay. Thank you all very much.